From Warren NYC, it's Effort, a show based on our live storytelling series where female leaders and entrepreneurs share raw and personal stories of challenges they've overcome in their careers and what they learned in the hustle to achieve success. Effort is brought to you by Warren. We're a mission-based creative agency that empowers women to lead. We produce creative work like marketing campaigns, product branding and packaging, and build online experiences for companies like Marriott, campaigns like Let's Move led by Michelle Obama, and Shark Tank alumni companies like Piper Y and Surprise Ride. Our work is powered by women, and we believe that more women leading companies creates a stronger economy and a more equal world for everyone. Everybody tells me when I'm leaving the White House, go find your next best job. It's the best time to be looking for your next job. I'm like, I did not want to work. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Effort Radio. I'm Nicole Corbett, CEO of Warren. Hey, hey. Carolyn Rush here, Director of Strategy. And I'm Leela Feldmeyer, Creative Strategist. So today we're going to hear from Sanal Shah. She's the Executive Director over at the Beck Center, which focuses on social impact and innovation. We have had the awesome pleasure of getting to know Sanal over the past year. We've worked with her and her team, helped them rebrand and redesign. And the moment we met her and heard her story, we just knew that we had to share it with all of you because there were hundreds of lessons packed into the first 10 minutes of hearing from her and all of her experiences. So it's really, really powerful stuff. To tell you a little bit more about Sanal and her background, She's an economist and an entrepreneur and has spent her career focused on economic policy and innovation in the public and private sectors. She has led policy innovations at the White House for President Obama and the Treasury Department for President Clinton. And fun fact, she's the first woman to be the Director of Social Justice in the White House. We're about to hear from Sanal on trusting your instincts and knowing when to power through or when to pull back. Here's Sanal you about is just three fearless moments in my lifetime. The reason about fearlessness is sometimes when we talk about fearlessness, we talk about big moments. And it really is about small individual pieces that kind of make you who you are along the way and help you be stronger, learn about yourself, and improve on it. So the first fearless moment is I went to work at the Department of Treasury when I was 24 years old, economist, kind of a dork. Um, I liked economics, I liked data, that's all I worked on, and I'm in a meeting, I'm finishing up my first year, and I'm bored. And I, somebody comes up to me like, would you be willing to go to Sarajevo? So anybody you know, 1995, we had just finished bombing Bosnia. And I'm like, sure, not thinking about why I'm going to Sarajevo. I call my parents, I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to Sarajevo. My mom says, yeah. Isn't that where they bought me? And she's like, I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. I'm like, what parent does that? <laughs> but I get on a plane two months later to show up in Bosnia. And let me just tell you about this plane journey. I have to go to Europe to take a military flight into Sarajevo, because there's no other flights going into Sarajevo. We're landing in this military plane. And the pilot says, as we're landing, uh, so if you feel the airplane pulling up, it's because we couldn't see the runway. I'm like, right. <laughs> um, only later did I learn that it's only on-site landing. And Sarajevo, all of the systems had been um, torn down in the country, so you could only land on-site. And it's between two mountains, just in case a fear should have settled in at that moment, but it didn't. So I get to Sarajevo, and I'm a 26-year-old punk, set, sent there to set up a central bank. 
right? So what we could think of ourselves and say, what do you know about setting up a central bank? Nothing. How do you set up a central bank? Never done it. I'm an economist, um, and I've got a great person who's supporting me that tells me I can do this. Um, but what I learned, I think, when I was there was I didn't have to know how to set up a central bank. What I needed to know was who to talk to that knew how to do it, and who were all the other people that weren't talking to each other. This was the first time, Sarajevo was the first time the international community thought they could do um, nation building. We didn't do it that well. But um, it was the first time we'd actually thought about doing nation building after a bombing campaign since World War II. And getting there and learning that nobody's really talking to each other and I could be the one talking to everybody else, that was the thing that I learned. And that one moment of saying, yes, I will go to Sarajevo, not knowing what the job was, not knowing anything about a central bank, the embassy didn't really want me there because they were like, you're a treasury person, you're not a state department person, so you know you don't fall within the line of legal authorities here. So here's what they used to do. They dropped me off at the border on the Serb region because we didn't talk to the Serbs, but we had to set up a peace agreement. And they're like, we'll pick you up in two weeks. And the Serbs would come pick me up. And you know, hindsight being 2020, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that stuff. Right? Like, who? gets in a van, gets dropped off at some border region in the middle where the mountains are, and then some other car picks you up and you show up, you know, in some mountain resort place where they have bombed it to, you know, crap. And you're going to work on negotiating a central bank with these guys. But it's not knowing that fear and not letting the fear get to you that was actually the most important part of that journey. And that taught me that it didn't really matter that I didn't know something, but I actually could go and figure this out. That was at 26, so at 28 I come back and I'm in Treasury for a little bit longer. Um, but the second moment comes almost seven years later. I want to leave Treasury. And my siblings and I have been thinking about setting up a nonprofit forever. Like we should do something in India. My parents grew up in India. I'm Indian American. I grew up in these two dual cultures. They don't really know what it means to be a dual culture. How do I learn about my heritage but be American? So we take everything we have in savings, and that's $50,000, and we put it into this nonprofit. And we're like, everybody is telling us it is not going to work. This is India, by the way, in 2001. 9-11 had just happened. The Indians would be like, why would you want to set up something? We left that country for a reason. So why do you want to go back there? We'd get to India, and the Indians were like, why are you coming here? We're trying to leave. You're wasting your time. So we get there and we set up this nonprofit, and the number of times people tell us it's not going to work, you kind of just dig in and you're like, let me figure this out. We're going to go visit 250 NGOs in India, and we're going to figure out how to set up a fellowship. It's a Peace Corps for Indians. And we're going to set this up because we had talked to the Peace Corps, and we had talked to the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, and we talked to the Jewish Volunteer Corps. So we know about these volunteer programs, so we're going to figure it out. We were praying for five applications. We got 50 the first year. We were so happy. Um, and now we had to set the first project up, and we had to set the projects up. We're going to do a month-long orientation. It's like, crap, we don't have an orientation program yet. So I leave my job for three months, I take a leave of absence, and I go work on setting up an orientation program with my brother who had moved there. Here's the thing, when you set up a nonprofit with your siblings, know your siblings well. <laughs> because you do get into fights with them, and you are either going to come out of this poorly, or you're going to come out of this stronger. And there were moments where we weren't sure which way we were going on that. Because we would yell at each other, whether it was about money or whether it was ideas, whether it was whose idea it was, why did my idea not get taken, and there's three of us. So any
always on one side and the third person was always on the other side. So pick the two at any time. We were friends and then we were not friends again. Um, lucky for us, over a decade, we've gotten to be better friends, but I would say for about 10 years, we weren't great friends. Um, and, and it takes time, and learning that, I think that was one of the biggest lessons I take is think about your family, because when you get into things with family, it's never easy. Was I, went, I worked at the White House. I got to work on the transition team with President Obama. I got to set up the Office of Social Innovation with President Obama. Cool job, cool things. You know, everybody wants to talk to you when you're, when you're in the White House. I, everybody tells me when I'm leaving the White House, go find your next best job. It's the best time to be looking for your next job. I'm like, I do not want to work. <laughs> and to make the moment and take the moment when you have five job offers, people are like, you have to take this job, take that job. I get a call from a foundation president. She's like, you have to come work here. And I said no to every single one of those job offers. I needed to take the time off. I needed a year off. I needed a year to think about myself and who I wanted to be, not what the world wanted me to be. But really thinking about that. And that moment of saying no, the first time you said no, you felt more, you felt empowered. The second time you said no, you felt like stronger. The third time you said no, I was like, I'm making the right decision. But the first time was really hard to say, no, I'm going to take a year and a half off and I'm not going to entertain any offers. And I promise you, if people would call me and they're like, your career's done. No one's going to want, you're not going to get the next big job. And I just couldn't imagine not taking that time off. So two things happened in that moment. I, I first bought a ticket to go overseas. I was going to do a round the world trip thing. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I was going to figure it out. Um, but my grandmother gets sick. And she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I moved home to Texas. And I became her full-time caretaker. And there, for seven months until she passed away, I took care of her day in and day out. I knew her medications, I knew her doctor's um, visits, I knew everything about what pain she was going through. I had to administer the medicine that eventually put her into a deep sleep that she would then pass away. Right? But that moment in your life, you begin to realize like there's nothing better than to be ability to sit there with your family have every single my cousins from around the world come and spend time with her and to meet all of my uncles and aunts in a space that was not about what my title was, but it became about her. And to learn about somebody's life who had grown up in India in a village where they didn't even have running water. And here's this woman at 89, having lived 40 years of her life in the United States as an immigrant who never spoke English. But to imagine the fearlessness of that, whatever I think is fearless, that was even more fearless. She became a widow at 50. She moved to the United States at 51, and she passed away at 89. Right? That's a life. So my point to you all would be, don't worry about the life anybody else tells you about. Live your fearless life. I want, when I, whatever I do, I want to make sure I can make that decision that's fearless about me. Not the fear of what the next job should be, what the next title should be, what's the next thing I should do, but to be fearless at every moment and every decision that I get to make, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else, because it's not going to make sense to anyone else. And frankly, it's my life. What do I care what anybody else thinks? Right? It's really not worth it, because if I live the life everybody else wanted me to live, I'd be working on some foundation of me bored to tears. But instead, I 
get to work in Georgetown. I get to work with really cool women. I get to meet really cool people. And I get to make those decisions every single day that is about my fearless life. So live your fearless life because the fearlessness isn't about the big decisions. The fearlessness is about the very small decisions we get to live every single day. Um, and that's my story. That's our show. Follow us next time for the next episode of Effort Radio. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. If you have topics you want to hear about or questions, you can drop us a line at effort at warn.nyc. That's F-I-T at W-O-R-N dot N-Y-C. We'd love to hear from you. If you live in D.C. or New York City, or have a friend that you think would benefit from attending Effit, you can come see these stories in person, meet the storytellers, and meet incredible women just like you to support you and your hustle. Effit is completely free, and you can sign up on our website at worn.nyc forward slash radio. That's worn.nyc forward slash F-I-T radio. Our show is produced by Carolyn Rush, Nicole Corbett, and Leela Feldmeyer with sound recording and mixing by Nicholas Quasi-Hurt. Effort may cause side effects such as quitting your job, asking for a raise, following your dreams, supporting other women, raising money, uncontrollable honesty, and extreme confidence.